My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. I received a, a huge favor back in December of uh, 2018, December 25th, actually, 2018. Father Greg, who was by then, I think, 80. 86 or 87, he had asked if I could celebrate Mass for him. He was in St. Michael's Hospital. He was very feeble, barely able to speak, even barely able to receive communion. He had cancer, there was all, all kinds of things wrong with him at that point. And uh, the process was that on the 24th, he in the, in the night he went unconscious and we figured out well that it was not was not going to be possible for us to celebrate mass or for me to celebrate mass for him but it, then in the middle of the night the nurse told us that he came to he was no longer unconscious and the first thing he asked for was mass he wanted somebody to celebrate mass so he was conscious, he was lucid, and he was able to sort of be awake. I, I came that morning, I was able to celebrate right there in front of him. They had a special table set up and I brought the altar linen and a little crucifix and a small chalice. And there he received what would have been his viaticum, the, the food for the journey. As far as I know, I think that was his last uh, Holy Communion. And the next day, I went to, to the Manoir to do my retreat. And while I was on the Manoir, I think it was on the 27th, he passed away. I remember we were in the oratory doing the examination of conscience, and somebody sent me a text saying, Father Greg had passed away. And so I told the people there, while they were doing the exam, Father Greg had died, and we all did the, the response for the repose of his soul. But something told us that that Mass was a foretaste of, of what he was now experiencing, the banquet of eternal life. Something told us that he didn't need that response, like that was going to be... Well, maybe he did, but I, I don't think so. But And... Uh, all that, which I had the chance to do, to celebrate Mass for him, was just an appetizer of the real thing. The real banquet of, of eternal life in heaven. A never-ending never banquet. We'll, we imagine that he'll get satiated by that banquet, full of joy, like, a, like an A-feast that you prepare for us when you prepare those insane meal, meals and you care for the napkins in unique ways. There's an appetizer, there's wine, there's a main dish. 
there's the dessert, etc. All the things that we get on an, a feast. But it won't be like the feast of Nebuchadnezzar at the royal feast, at the royal banquet, which we had in today's uh, reading, who, uh, who had decided to get all the golden vessels from the temple that they had looted. And he said, you know, I want to see what it's like to drink out of those vessels of the people of Judah. Let's see what it's like. And so he began to drink the wine out of the sacred vessels that he had gotten from the treasury that he had looted. And he drunk and drunk and all his cohorts together. All his attendants. But then, as we saw in today's reading, while he was doing that, this bizarre incident, he suddenly saw a hand crawling up the wall and writing stuff on the wall with these fingers which he didn't understand and it was a funny line because he became pretty afraid it said uh, the king turned pale with alarm his thigh joints went slack and his knees began to knock you know that's a great line it's, I'd just like to see that uh, to like to see that guy freaking out you know <laughs> His knees began to knock. You know, that's where we get the expression, my knees were shaking, or, or even where we get the expression, I saw the writing on the wall, right? But uh, I think that's where it comes from, I don't know. But, um, but it won't be that kind of banquet, the bank of eternal life, because you, Lord, will be the center. Not the wine, not the, the writing on the wall, not all that enjoyment that the... Nebuchadnezzar and his cohorts were enjoying because after all in the mass the center is not the wine and the bread but as our faith tells us that wine and bread is not bread and wine it is transformed into you so you Lord are, are the center your living body resurrected body and indeed one of the most moving, moving moments of a priest is when he celebrates his first Mass. First Mass. First time you go up to the altar and the first time you say the words of consecration. Well, the, strictly speaking, the first time is when you get ordained, but there you're usually with a ton of other priests and you know, you're just kind of half in a daze. So, kind of, it's, well, it counts, but it doesn't really count. But the first time when you're there alone at the altar, whew, it's, you know, it, uh, it's very uh, it's very powerful because you suddenly realize that your words have the power to make that transformation uh, the consecration you have the power to make it happen and you're still the same guy you know you're just like a guy you know so but <laughs> you know somehow something has happened and you can watch it happen there as an active observer the priest is active, but so are those assisting at Mass. They're not passive. They're also in some way actively seeing what's going on. Now, as you know, on Saturday, Bishop uh, Jose Maria Yanguas, the Bishop of Cuenca in Spain, ordained 24 new deacons, transitional deacons, in a ceremony that was held in Santo Genio 
in Rome. And, well, what he said, these were deacons, so they're not, they're going to get ordained as priests a bit later. But he said that our Lord wants to make use of each of you to remind people that he is calling all men and women through your words and your humble but authentic commitment to live a life fully consistent with the Christian faith. So so you have to now live a life that is fully consistent. But that applies to those new deacons, applies to you, me. I mean, we're all called to live a life of consistency. He says, We don't want to be like that famous captain who urged the others to embark while he remained comfortably on the shore. Our Lord is calling us personally to live the adventure of holiness with the full, fullest possible identification with Him and to remind people that this, this is God's will for each person. So, we have to be identified with you, Lord, and one place is in the Holy Mass, that we be active participants there. Now, these these uh, 24 transitional deacons will soon become priests. There's, there's deacons there from Ecuador, uh, Italy, France, Colombia, Spain, of course. Uh, who knows where they're all from, but uh, they will soon become priests. And then, at that point, well, the bishop or whoever ordains them will certainly talk more about the Eucharist. But now, of course, in these next days, every day they're going to practice how to celebrate Mass. But they won't be celebrating Mass. They'll just be faking because they're only deacons. They don't have the power of holy orders yet. Well, they do have orders, but only deacon. So they go up there and they say all the words, but nothing happens. It just stays the same. But they just learn how to do it, how to, you know, and they have somebody with them say, okay, now don't move, oh, move there, okay, now go like this, okay, put your hands like this, put your hands like that. You know, somebody's watching every single detail, you know, and every little thing, you know. And uh, our Father wanted us to learn that with exquisite care and attention. Of course, later on when they get ordained, their families will come to Rome, and then, well, each of them will celebrate their own first masses, and uh, well, we pray that all they all become deeply pious and really on fire with that precious moment, particularly when they celebrate their first mass and and, and the moment of the consecration. You all can picture that photo of Don Alvaro taken on March twenty second, nineteen ninety four. He's in the cenacle celebrating his last Mass on this earth. And it's a very small altar. He is with the Counselor of Jerusalem and Don Javier on the other side. It's quite a small altar. It's not a big altar. It's even smaller than this one here. But he's there in the Senegal, in the very place where the Lord instituted the Holy Eucharist. And... uh, he is extremely pious. He is very focused. And he has no idea that this is his last Mass. 
the last time he will receive the Holy Eucharist. He was, after all, getting old physically, but inwardly he was very young and vibrant, and he was renewed by the love that he put into the Eucharist. There was no passive thing, okay, well, I just got to say the Mass here, just got to get through with this and whatever, or the readings, whatever, whatever. No, he was really there. It's almost as though he was like in another world. He was like in the world of grace. And he was renewed by those acts of faith. He was invigorated by the love that he put in every Mass. So we ask now in our prayer, are you renewed by the care that you put into the Holy Mass? Are you renewed by that? Would you be able to just go off and die after that Mass that you, that you, that you assisted at? I mean, that's what he did. He, he celebrated his last Mass, not knowing that it would be the last Mass. He arrived back in Rome, went to bed, as most human beings do, and then he died. Well, he had a heart attack and died. And um, so... When we go to Mass, we're not just there. You know? And uh, every morning we are here in that, let's call it that, that other world. A world in which we are preparing for that other, that eternal banquet. A world of grace, where we listen to the words of the priest. We try to follow the liturgy, the divine liturgy. And always, uh, you know, very important when we, when we begin the Mass... The priest says the Eucharistic prayer. We don't always say the first Eucharistic prayer, but the, one of the oldest ones, it's not the oldest one necessarily, but the, an ancient one is the, the first Eucharistic prayer, which starts with that expression, De igitur. De igitur clementissima pater, per Jesum Christum filium tuum dominum nostrum, supplices rogamus ac petimus, ut accepta abeas et benedicas ectona ek punera ek sancta sacrificia ilibata te igitur to you therefore most merciful father we make humble prayer and petition through Jesus Christ your son our lord that you accept and bless these gifts these offerings these holy and unblemished sacrifices to you these words to you father te igitur these words, those two words, te igitur, to you therefore, were often depicted in illuminated manuscripts over the centuries, uh, finely painted and, uh, and uh, colored and with all kinds of decorative elements. And the T of the te igitur, the T was often in the form of a cross and sometimes you would have Jesus hanging on the cross. Sometimes the T would fill an entire page um, because, because, of course, it was understood, deeply understood that the whole Mass is really about the sacrifice of the cross. And, uh, well, maybe you can also look at your own missal when you follow along the Mass, and you'll see the Te Igitur in the first Eucharistic prayer. To you, Lord, I give myself. We can say that. To you, Lord, I am addressing myself in prayer in union with the priest at the altar. To you, therefore, O most merciful Father, we make humble prayer and petition. That's what we say. And we see how active we are. That's what we have to be. We have to be actively present. Even almost 
drained. Like anything that you do actively, you get tired, you get physically maybe even exhausted. St. Tosmeria used to come out of Mass, well, let's say, quite exhausted sometimes. Now we know that the Second Vatican Council, in the first document of the Second Vatican Council, Sacrosanctum Concilium, on the, the dogmatic constitution of the liturgy, emphasized the communitarian aspect, right? That is, that we are all family of the family of God together and we're praying that we're not just there on our own separate from the priest eh, who's doing his own thing and we are doing our own thing you know people used to sometimes go to mass they'd pray the rosary while they couldn't really hear the priest and plus even if they could hear them hear him they wouldn't understand because he would mumble his latin and not really know his latin and of course the, the faithful didn't know the latin so you know you and I the priest and the faithful we have to be kind of praying in the same direction, not just ad orientum, that is towards the east, but ad dominum, towards the Lord, together te igitur, to you Lord now, the Second Vatican Council we know, permitted English, yes, but also the the Second Vatican Council or, or Sacrosanctum Concilium insisted that the canon be said in a clear and audible voice. It used to be said with a, what was called then a kind of mystical voice or voce secreto, like the priest would just go, you know, like, okay, whatever, okay. Um, you know, um, there's probably a reason for that. I, I don't know. I'm sorry. I, I, I don't know why. That, that, that was probably a very good reason for that. But, but um, I don't know. Maybe it was. Uh, yeah, it was probably mandated. I don't know why. It was a good, good, probably very good and laudable reason. Uh, but now the council said, no, no. Like, like we want to hear what you're saying and praying, and so that everybody could pray together. Hmm? And then we say, you know, be pleased to grant her peace, to guard, unite, and govern her throughout the whole world together with your servant Francis, our Pope, our Bishop, and all those who are holding to the truth, hand on the Catholic and Apostolic faith. Yeah, that's what we say. And it's, we, we hear it clearly. And it, that clarity, that clear intonation of the priest is most to say, and, and, and that we follow along, it's supposed to reflect our respect and our obedience uh, for, the, for the Pope. And you know, every time we hear those names, you know, uh, Francis, our Pope, and Thomas, our Bishop, uh, Fernando, our Prelate, and, and what we say in the centers. You know. Well, every time we hear that, Francis, in this case, uh, Cardinal Tom, uh, Thomas Collins, well, we pray for him. We pray for him. We just shoot a prayer, you know, or for our Prelate. And um, so we really have a duty of of being the living white blood cells in the church. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have white blood cells in a in a in in the sort of going through your bloodstream, one of the purposes I found out about the white blood cells is that they help invigorate the immune system. You know, and that is protecting the body against uh, infectious diseases or foreign invaders little invaders that come in and attack and distract us 
That's what the white blood cells do. They stop infection. They kill anything that could infect us. And, um, and we, when we are in mass, we have to feel ourselves like those white blood cells. We have to be part of the solution of the church, right? And avoid the infection of discouragement or the infection of distraction or not really being present, you know, that's in what we're doing, right? And the red blood cells, well, what do they do? Well, the red blood cells, they carry fresh oxygen to the rest of the body. So the red blood cells, they're carrying all this oxygen and they, you know, they, they, they make you stronger, right? And um, they remove the carbon dioxide from your body and they bring it to the lungs for you to exhale, right? and all the nutrients and all that stuff, apparently that's all in the, the red blood cells, like the vitamins, you know, the B12 and the B2 and B whatever. That those are all the, those are all needed to have a healthy, good body, and that's the red blood cells, right? So, I mean, it's all good to have no infections, yeah, but if you have no strength, uh, it's, you know, so, you know. Of course, you don't need vitamins if you have amazing food, like is here, the case is here, where all the vitamins are already in all the food, right? So, like, uh, you know, like the, the iron, you know, in the, in the eggs and the whole grains and in the tofu and in the quinoa and whatever, you know? but uh, that's, that's where you get all the vitamins, right? Uh, I think the iron is especially in those healthy, healthy foods, and, and it's the red blood cells. So, in the Mass, we are passing on the strength to the others, the others around us, of course, but the others in the Church, right? The Pope, uh, the, the Bishop, uh, but of course all Christians. And the Mass is really the best defense against any temptation to lukewarmness. But we have to take that good diet, that active participation so that we don't, in the Mass, or, or at all in our life, become anemic. You know, anemic is you're lacking uh, iron, and, and you're just weak. Could it be that I'm a little bit anemic in the way I assist at Mass? Mm-hmm. And so, well, the main thing to do is to pray, do penance, have rectitude of intention, this happens in, in every time we go to Mass. And maybe what we have to do is uh, wake Jesus up from his sleep in Peter's boat. Uh, you know, when Peter is in the boat and the storm is coming and or is already there and Jesus seems to be asleep. Uh, well, Peter goes to him and says, Jesus, wake up! You know? And that's what we're saying when the, we start the Eucharistic prayer. We're saying, Te igitur, you know, To you we go! And the solution is not simply technical. It's, it's not of taking care of the oars in the boat ourselves. We are in the boat of Peter, and uh, we should have really more faith whenever we assist at Holy Mass. Maybe the way we prepare is one way, you know, like like the priest, when he does his breviary, he has a, we have a, like, like 
there's a whole bunch of prayers that we have to say every day. It's like an obligation. We have to pray the breviary. But there's just one little text that is not included in this obligation, but we say it anyway because it's very short. And it's a prayer to ask God to help us say a good breviary. It's the Aperi Domine Osmeum Ad Benicedum Nomen Sanctum Tuum. It says, O Lord, open thou my mouth, that I may bless thy holy name. Cleanse my heart too from all vain, evil, or wandering thoughts. And uh, that is, Omnibus vanis perversis italienis cogitatis. Vain and uh, evil and wandering thoughts. Enlighten my understanding, kindle my affections, that I may be able to say this office worthily, attentively, devoutly. Udine attente ac devote, ac officium recitare valiam. That's what we say. You know, that's a, that's a good thing. So, well, we can also go that I may worthily, attentively, and devoutly assist at this Mass today. So we can say as a way. You know? And... Um, that way we'll be in front of our Lord and please Him because we are in front of the preparation for that eternal banquet. Let's ask our Blessed Mother to help us with this, to help us make us effective apostles in His Church, like those good white blood cells that will impede any infections and also good red blood cells that will bring strength and nutrients to the rest of the mystical body. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.